This message is brought to you by the Church of Pentecost Cyprus. As you listen, may it build faith in your heart, inspire hope in your life, and fill you with God's amazing love. Enjoy the message. Um, We can't end the month speaking of revival without speaking of the revival that took place during Elijah's time. Um, And revival is most often when we think of revival, one of the first things that comes to mind is the revival that took place during Elijah's time. And I'm praying that um, the God of Elijah who is still alive will raise Elijah's of our time who would stand for God and who would do great and mighty things for him in Jesus' name. This morning, my sermon is titled, Rebuilding the Altar of the Lord. Rebuilding the Altar of the Lord. Rebuilding the Altar of the Lord. The word rebuilding means that the altar was once there, something has happened for it to be destroyed, and therefore it needs to be rebuilt. Rebuilding the altar of the Lord. Now, our key text is taken from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30. 1 Kings 18, verses 30. Rebuilding the altar of the Lord. 1 Kings 18, verses 30. I read, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. It is after repairing the altar before the fire came. So in essence, what I'm saying this morning is that If we want to experience a revival, the fire of the Lord sweeping through, then the first thing we must do is to rebuild the altar of the Lord, the altar of the Lord. Now, the background of this is that um, for over 50 years, the children of Israel have departed from the good old faith and now worshiping Baal. Um, We can see the background story from 1 Kings 16, 20, 29 to 33. 1 Kings 16, 29 to 33. 1 Kings 16, 29 to 33 gives us the background to this story that, or the encounter that our brother read for us earlier. I'm reading it now. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, began to, reign, to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. I'll pause there. So Ahab did, uh, when you talk about King Asa, King Asa was one of the most righteous kings or one of the people who brought revival during his time. And it says Ahab, who ruled over the northern kingdom, did so much evil, did so more evil than any king before him. Verse 31. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King um, Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. So as though his own life was not bad enough, he married Jezebel. May your marriage not be spoken of in that way. If anything, may it be said that your marriage 
and the people you associate with rather brought glory into your life and brought glory to the name of the Lord. As though, and as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King, King Ebal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down and worship to Baal. First, Ahab built an alt a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Ash, Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So you're seeing the background. Not only did he follow the path of Jeroboam, he also married Jezebel, um, the king of the daughter of the Sidonian king. And then aside that as well, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any other king in the whole history of Israel. Now let's start from his first wrong, which is following the example of Jeroboam. Following the example of Jeroboam. Now the example or the sins of Jeroboam can be found in 1 Kings 12, 26 to 33. The sin of Jeroboam. 1 Kings 12, um, 26 to 33. I think about two or three Sundays ago, I told you, I preached to you about the son of Solomon called Rehoboam, who... When Jeroboam went to him, who was Jeroboam was one of the servants or one of um, Solomon's leaders who had an issue with Solomon and he ran away. When Solomon's heart had become so hard, Jeroboam tried to advise him and he ran away. And then later on, when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. And um, Re um, Jeroboam went to him to speak to him that if you want us to follow you, lessen the load on us. And Solomon's son Rehoboam replied and said that uh, my little finger or my thumb is thicker than my father's waist. In other sense that I would press you harder than my father did. So the kingdom of Israel was split into two and Rehoboam ran to Judah. That was one kingdom. And then the remaining ten tribes. So um, Judah and Benjamin became one kingdom and Rehoboam was ruling that. And then the remaining ten tribes also became another kingdom and um, Jeroboam was also ruling that kingdom. Now, the sin of Jeroboam is this. 1 Kings 12, 26-33. Jeroboam thought of himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is in the um, other side. So, it's where Jeroboam is. So, 27 again. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden cows. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel. Who brought you up out of Egypt? One he sets up in Bethel and the other in Dan. 30. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. Even though they were not Levites. 
He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. 33. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. So the kingdom is split. The kingdom is split. Um, you have Rehoboam who is now in charge of Judah, the son of, 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 of um, sorry, the son of Solomon. He's now in Judah. He's run. It was all one kingdom. He's run. He's now in Judah. And Judah is where, of course, Jerusalem is. God had told them that no one should worship anywhere else apart from in Jerusalem. And, of, and when Rehoboam went back, his heart was turning slowly back towards the Lord. And um, Jeroboam had heard and seen that if these people, if I don't do something to stop these people going to Jeru Jerusalem to worship, then as they go to Jerusalem, soon enough their hearts will be turned and they would re reunite with Rehoboam and then they will become one and they will kill me and destroy me. So he decided to create two gold, um, golden calf images. And he told the people that you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. You can worship these calf images. And then he also appointed priests. Anyone that he wanted to make a priest, he made them priests. Um, of course, God had told uh, Moses and the Israelites that the priests or the uh, the priests should only be the Levites. So anyone at all is not qualified to be a priest. It had to be those who were Levites, born Levites. But for um, Jeroboam, anyone who wanted to be priest, um, he just made them priests. He made them priests, and then he built images, and then he instituted a festival. The same day that the children of Israel were supposed to go to, uh, supposed to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, he also arranged his own festival, so that the people would be consumed with that, and they would not go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So by doing that. He turned the hearts of the whole of Israel, all the ten tribes, away from the Lord and led them to worship um, those images. Let them turn their hearts away from the Lord. So some of the kings who came after him did not follow his example. They rather turned the people's hearts and said, no, we can't worship these images. We have to go to Jerusalem and worship Yahweh. But when Ahab came, he instituted, he followed the example of Jeroboam. So the images that Jeroboam had put in place and the priests that Jeroboam had, had instituted and put in place, he reinstated everything. In essence, turned the people's hearts away from the Lord. And then he married Jezebel. Jezebel, who was also someone who worshipped Baal. And um, now... The situation that we're coming into in 1 Kings 18, now in the chapter 17, because things had become so bad, so terrible, God sent Elijah to pronounce judgment upon them. That God is going to withhold rain until my word comes. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes to them and goes to Ahab and tells them that this is what God says. There will be no rain. 
no rain because the people's hearts had turned away from the Lord. It had become so bad that if you were someone who was a priest of God, a genuine priest, Ahab will kill you and people's lives were in danger. It had become a sin or a problem to worship God freely. That is how bad their situation and things had been. Now, the worship of Baal and the worship of other gods had become the common religion and the, and, and the main religion in town at the time. So, to the extent where even Obadiah had to hide a hundred prophets from being killed. That is how bad things had become. And so, God sent Elijah that go and pronounce judgment upon the nation. And the whole point of God sending Elijah to pronounce that judgment is that God wanted them to experience barrenness. And without the heavens pouring out rain, it was supposed to cause the people's hearts to realize how far they are from God and for them to be broken and run to God. But instead of Ahab running to God and humbling himself, he rather blamed Elijah for all his problems. Instead of acknowledging that the reason why the Lord has closed the heavens, the reason why things are difficult is because we have turned away from the Lord, he rather blamed Elijah and he was looking for Elijah to kill him. So Elijah, having pronounced that judgment, then went away and the Lord took care of him for three and a half years. Then after God called Elijah and said, go back to Ahab and I'm going to perform a mighty miracle on that day. And when he gathered all the prophets, he told them that, look, if Baal is God, then he should prove it. If Baal is God, he should prove it. So the 450 prophets of Baal began to call unto Baal, called unto Baal. They cried all day, cried all night. They cut themselves. They did everything, but there was no life in that. Sometimes people can follow things. It may appear to have life, but I'm here to tell you this morning that the only one who gives life is Jesus. The only one who saves is Jesus. Don't follow anything. It may have an appearance of godliness, but the only thing or the only place where you can receive refuge, where you can receive hope, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. So they did all. Then Elijah said, okay, now it's my turn. I want to prove the greatness of my God. I want to prove the greatness of my God. I pray that God would anoint you so much. God will revive you so much that if people think that God does not exist through you, the words of your mouth, through your prayers, through the things that God will do through you this year, people will have enough evidence of the existence of God. The God of Elijah is not dead, but the Elijahs of God are missing. Hallelujah. I pray that you and I will arise and represent him. So then, before Elijah would then call for fire to come down, one of the things he did was to rebuild the altar of the Lord. Rebuild the altar of the Lord. Now when we talk about altars, altar, an altar is a race place where a sacrifice was made. A place where a sacrifice was made. An altar was a place where a sacrifice was made. The first person to have ever raised an altar or made an altar in the Bible was Noah. After the flood and they had come out of the, 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 the ship, Noah built an altar to the Lord and offered a sacrifice. We'll read that in Genesis 8 verse 20 to 21. That will give us an understanding of altars. Genesis 8 20 to 21. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. 
And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. So Noah built an altar and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And after giving a sacrifice to the Lord, the aroma rose and pleased the Lord. And when it pleased the Lord, the Lord appeared and made a, a, a covenant with Noah, in essence, and said that I will never destroy human life again. I will never destroy all human life or all living things again. So in at the place of altars, um, several things happen. An altar is a place of surrender to God. An altar is a place of surrendering to God. Um, and when we talk about building the altars of the Lord, that means you must rebuild um, places of surrender to God in your life. If you want to experience revival, then there is a need for you to rebuild the altars or the altar of the Lord. When people are going to get married, one of the things they want to do is they want to bring it to the altar of God. That is simply to say that we are bringing our marriage before the Lord. We are surrendering it before the Lord. We want an encounter with the Lord. In essence, what they are saying is that we cannot run this race of marriage or this race of life without the encounter or the presence of the Lord. So therefore, an altar is a place of meeting God. An altar is a place where humanity meets divinity. An altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place where you give up something to encounter the Lord. And the truth of the matter is that unless you are willing to give up something, don't expect a visitation from the Lord. All those who experience a divine and a fresh and a mighty visitation of the Lord, a reviving of the Lord, they have to be willing to sacrifice something, to give up something precious. One of the people who built an altar in the Old Testament was Abraham. Abraham built seven altars during his lifetime. And one of the altars that he built, the sacrifice that he laid on it was his own son Isaac. In Genesis 22, you must be willing, if you want to experience the visitation and the strong move of the Lord, then the altar of the Lord must be built. And there are three components that make an altar complete. One, there is the altar itself, but the altar itself has no significance unless there is someone who is at the altar. That person needs to be someone who is expectant, desiring to meet the Lord. Desiring to meet the Lord. Someone who desires and is eager for a visitation of the Lord. Then the third component that is needed for an altar to be complete or the altar thing to be complete is sacrifice. If you want a visitation of the Lord, these three things must be there. The, the altar itself, the sacrifice, and the person, and the person, and the person. So an altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is the place of sacrifice. And you see, with the altars, it is not so much about the place where the altar is built. It is so much about bringing ourselves before the presence of the Lord. Now, when the Lord was instituting the tabernacle, he told them that there has to be an altar at that place. And an altar is a place of sacrifice. So you see that in Abraham's life, wherever he went, 
he built altars in those places. He didn't always return to the same altar, but he built altars, a place of encounter to the Lord. Sometimes we can become a bit religious, if we're not careful, where you begin to make a shrine of a place. But an altar is a place where the Lord visits us, where we're experiencing the move of the Lord, where we experience the move of the Lord. And what we're saying is that everywhere you are, there are spiritual altars that you can have in your life that will cause you to experience the move of the Lord. Now, if I had built an altar purely in Cyprus, and then my coming here to Turkey, there will be no way I can experience the move of God. Because then, for me to encounter God, I have to be back at that place where that shrine is or where that altar is. So there are spiritual altars that need to be rebuilt in your life so that wherever you are, wherever you go, as long as those altars are in place in your life, as long as the sacrifice that needs to be offered is offered on those altars, then you will experience the visitation of the Lord. And this morning, I want to look at examples of those kind of spiritual altars that we need to rebuild if we want to experience a visitation of the Lord. The kind of altars, spiritual altars, that you need to have in place if you want to experience the visitation of the Lord. Remember, altars is dealing with sacrifice. Now, in our days, one of the things, or two of the things that we sacrifice the most is our time and our resources. So that means, if I'm talking about building altars and giving sacrifice, then that means you must commit your time and your resources towards these things. You, in your desire to meet God, you must commit your time. You must commit your resources. You must commit yourself towards these things if you want the Lord to show up, if you want to experience the fire of the Lord. Now, the first spiritual altar is the Word of God. Is the Word of God. You must commit your time and resources towards the Word of God. You must commit your time and resources towards the word of God. Um, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11 to 13, speaks of Josiah. 2 Kings 22, 11 to 13. One of the people who brought one of the greatest revivals in Israel was Josiah, a very young king. And his revival started when he began to devote himself to the word of the Lord. 2 Kings 22, 11 to 13 says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his ropes. He gave these orders to Hikaya the priest, Ahikam, Ahikam son of um, Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, um, Shaphan, the, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant, 13. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. You see, for a long while, they were religious. They were having sacrifices. They would go to church. They would do everything. But the word of God was not priority. And then the word of the law or the book of the law was discovered. And when Josiah heard it being read, it provoked something within him. When he devoted, he gave his ears to the word of the Lord. When he gave his time to the word of the Lord, then all of a sudden, that thing brought out revival. 
brought out revival. If you want to experience revival, if you want to experience the fire of God breaking through in your life, then you must place or build the spiritual altar of the word of God. You must make time for the word of God. Time. You must sacrifice time for the word of God. Now, in our dispensation, we don't sacrifice bulls. We don't sacrifice um, animals. We don't sacrifice anything. But you sacrifice time. Things that are precious for you. Now, someone may say that I don't have time. We all have 24 hours in a day. There are things that are important to you. You will make time for it. And if God is important to you and you desire to encounter him and the sacrifice he needs is your time to read his word, then you will make time for that. You make time for that. If you want to encounter the Lord, if you want to encounter the Lord, then your devotion, making time to read God's word, making time to be involved in Bible studies, making time to have devotion, making time to have time with the Lord. A family that spends time in God's word is often said that they stay together. If you want to experience the life of God and the move of the Holy Spirit like never before, if you want God to distinguish you from others, then the altar, the sacrifice of the word must be placed and must be rebuilt in your life. That's number one. The second altar that needs to be rebuilt um, in our lives for us to experience the Lord is fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. If you look at people who were revived and had the move of God mighty in their life, they always fasted and they always prayed. An example is Moses. Moses. Moses spent so much time in the presence of the Lord. Moses spent 40 days, 40 nights fasting. And then having come down, he saw the people were, were, were um, worshipping calves. Then he went back again, spent another 40 days, 40 nights. For some people, if you ask them to fast three days, they are not willing to make that sacrifice. You're not willing to make the sacrifice. You're not willing to put aside certain food and certain things. All you can't say you are hungry to encounter the Lord and not willing to sacrifice. Not willing to sacrifice. One of the things that must or that makes an altar significance is the sacrifice that is laid on it. The sacrifice that is laid on it. Fasting and praise. Exodus 34, um, verse 29. Exodus 34, 29. Then Moses came down from Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. He wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So those who speak to the Lord, their faces become radiant. If you want your life to be radiant, then you must invest time and resources to speak to the Lord. When we talk about fasting and prayer, that is simply what it is. It means speaking to the Lord. Spending time with the Lord. Spending quality time with the Lord. If you want to be able to defeat the Goliaths in your life, then you must spend time alone with the Lord in the wilderness like David. When you see a man achieving things, it, it's not from anywhere. There are things, there are sacrifices, there are spiritual altars that they have laid and they have worked on all their life. All their life. That is why they're achieving the revivals and the results that they're achieving. In the days that we're in, we don't have devoted Christians. 
We don't have devoted Christians. The Christians that we have nowadays are people who want to be entertained. All they want is entertainment. They want to come and feel good. But when it comes to laboring, in terms of sacrificing, doing certain things, they are not willing to. You see, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost came, what brought that is at the altar of prayer. For 50 days, the disciples had gathered every day to pray. For 50 days, they gathered every day to pray. It's not that they didn't have time to do anything. They could have used their time for other things, but because they wanted a refreshing and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some of you say you want the presence of the Lord. You want the visitation of the Lord. Even common prayer meeting, you can't turn up. If you can't devote and make a sacrifice and, and devote your time to things like prayer, don't expect your face and your life to be radiant. Moses, his face began to shine because he had spoken to the Lord. One of the persons who, who, whose life was radiant throughout from different generations was Daniel. And from Daniel chapter 1, we are introduced to Daniel as a man of prayer and as a man of fasting. Daniel chapter 1. We're introduced to him as a man of prayer and as a man of fasting. Daniel said that I will not defile myself to eat what is on the king's table. So he devoted to eat uh, what we call the Daniel fast. He abstained from those things for 10 days. Daniel chapter 2, we're introduced to Daniel as a man of prayer. The king has had a dream and he says that the people should interpret the dream for him. They should tell him what dream and give him the interpretation. No one was able to. Then Daniel offered himself and he called his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he told them that, let's go and pray. When they went to pray, in the room of prayer, on the altar of prayer, God gave them the answer, the dream and its interpretation. If you want to be relevant... Daniel. Daniel had an altar of prayer and it was something that he was not willing to give up. In Daniel chapter 6, the people realized that the only way to bring an issue against Daniel is if it's to do with something to do with his altar. So they said that the king should make a decree that no one should bow down to any god. But Daniel, Daniel was not concerned about that. For him, that would not stop him praying. Now, look at this lockdown. We've been stopped from meeting physically. But for some people, because we can't meet physically, their worship of God has stopped. Their service, their commitment to fellowship has stopped. That means that they don't have a hunger to meet God. If you had a hunger to meet God, then nothing can stop you from being involved in fellowship. Daniel was always involved in prayer. Daniel 6 verse 10 says, But when Daniel learns that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. He had made time. Daniel was a very busy man. He was a very significant man. He was a person who was in government. Very, very busy man. But he still made time to lay or to, to offer on the altar of prayer. Some of you will say, I don't have time. No. If you want to experience the visitation of the Lord, then certain spiritual altars must be rebuilt. Certain spiritual altars must be rebuilt. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31, I like the Amplified Translation. It says, but those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, 
and hope in him will gain new strength and renew their power. You see, those who renew their power are those who wait on the Lord. This is what fasting and prayer is. It says they will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising towards the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. In this year, that is what a right person is. A revived person, someone who has so much life, so much strength in them that where others have gone and they've gotten tired, that, that person doesn't get tired. Where others have become weary, that person has not become weary because the life and the power of God is not at work within them. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The ability of God is now working through them. And if you want that kind of life, then you must rebuild the altar of waiting on the Lord. Fasting and prayer. The third altar that you need to relay is the altar of giving. The altar of giving. The altar of giving. Solomon, an example. First Kings 3 verse 4 and also verse 5. First Kings chapter 3 verse 4. says, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. For that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Verse 5. Verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. See what brought that visitation of the Lord. What brought that encounter with the Lord? Solomon went. He took his time. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his resources. He gave the things that were precious on the altar of the Lord. And, and, what happened? The Lord appeared to him and said, ask whatever you want. Then the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Then um, he asked for wisdom, a discerning heart, and understanding. Then after he woke up out of the dream, as if that offering was not enough, verse 15 says this. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his courts. See that as if the first sacrifice was not enough, when he came back to Jerusalem, he offered another sacrifice and he also fed people. Giving. If you want to provoke the visitation of the Lord, then you must build these altars. You must build these altars in your life. Another example of, a, of, of the altar of giving is Cornelius. Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Acts 10, verses 1 to 3. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously not stingily. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. He combined two altars together. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Verse 3. One day about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius. God says, look, I have heard, I have seen your giving and I've heard your prayers and therefore I have come down to you. If you want to experience the visitation and the move of the Lord, 
These are the things, the spiritual altars that you need to lay in your life for that revival to take place. And what we're saying this year and this morning is that you need to rebuild those things in your life. You need to rebuild those things. Many of us are where we are as a result of the altars that our parents have laid, the spiritual altars, the devotion to the word, the giving that our parents have, the offerings that our parents have given, the prayers and fasting that our prayers have offered on our behalf. But if we will go far from where we are now, then we must now lay our own altars, rebuild the altars of the Lord, altars of the Lord, altars of the Lord, spiritual altars. Um, final one that I will touch on is worship. Worship. We know worship is the offering of yourself. Offering of what is precious to you. Offering of your time. Giving God your dreams. Giving God your best. Giving God your Isaac and not your Ishmael. Giving God your seven days a week. Giving God every moment of your life. God, you see, God does not just want what is left. He wants the very best. He wants the first of you. He wants the best of you. And if you want to experience a revival this year, like that of Elijah, then we need to go back to the place of rebuilding altars. No man, no woman can encounter the Lord except they rebuild the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord. I pray. That as I bring my message to an end, that the Lord will stir desire within you. I was telling someone this during the week that, see, when the desire is stirred within your heart, you act quickly. You act quickly. When God stirs a desire for prayer, to read God's word, to do certain things, to give, you act quickly. Because if you don't act quick and that desire or that anointing is gone, you will struggle to be able to walk in that thing. Once the Lord stares a desire in your heart to do something, if you want to see grace, if you want to see a mighty move of his, then act quickly. The moment God told Peter, uh, Jesus said, come to me, Peter acted quickly. That moment, the anointing was available. God stares, the Holy Spirit stares our hearts so that we can be revived. I pray this morning, this afternoon, wherever you are, that these altars that I've spoken about, that you will take time, make time for the Lord to avail yourself and rebuild those altars in your life. So we can't end this message without giving you an opportunity to make things right with God. If you would like to do so, then I would humbly ask you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I confess that I have fallen short of your expectations. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. Today, I accept the forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus offers. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my personal Savior. Come live in me. Come change me. Come help me to live a life that pleases you. This I have prayed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have prayed this prayer for the first time, then congratulations. Um, you have taken the first step to making things right with God. We'd encourage you to get in touch with us on any of our social media handles and we'll help you to grow in your relationship with God. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he prosper you and be gracious and kind to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. 
If you'd like to know more or have any questions, please contact us by email at info at copcypress.org or in any of our social media platforms at the COP Cypress. God bless you.